Hello and welcome to a sports ethos fantasy baseball podcast called It's Gone. I'm your host, Britton Allen, and today I'm going to discuss one of my favorite topics, which is prospects. And I'm talking like the impact prospects that are going to come up and you can draft late and put them in your lineup at some point this year and make a huge difference to your fantasy baseball team. But I'm not talking about the prospects like Corbin Carroll. They're still considered prospects. I'm talking about the next class of prospects. And I've got a very special guest to help me navigate through all those prospects that we want to draft. And I don't know anyone who's more qualified than this man. He is a prospect analyst for Fantrax and hosts the wildly successful prospect podcast that I listen to every week called The Call Up. And it's on the Triple Play Fantasy Network, which is, of course, Near and dear to my heart with David Mendelssohn and company over there. Love those guys. Shout out, gentlemen. But there's more. This is also the man who demolished all the competition in last year's TGFBI uh, uh, competition, also known as the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. That rolls off the tongue, but here we are. This man is the reigning champion, shall we say, the Lord of the Rings, the one to rule them all. And I couldn't be happier to talk prospects with him today and some news. It is the brilliant, the talented, Michael Richards. What's up, Michael? Hey, Britton. That was a pretty amazing introduction there. I don't think I've ever been introed like that before, but uh uh, really looking forward to talking with you here. Uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before we got started, you know, the, doing these solo pods. I I actually do the pod with Mendy, like you mentioned, and he had to go on vacation one week and I had to host it one time. And I've got a whole new appreciation for what people are able to do, especially in the solo. Even the hosts in our fantasy industry, they're underrated. What they're doing is harder than it looks. And you know, I, I'm I'm glad that you got your podcast. You're doing a great job, and I'm happy to be one of the you know first early guests on it. Well, I'm very lucky too, Michael. Thank you. I love having guests on, and you know, doing a solo podcast is fun because I just gotta get to talk and ramble and just kind of do my thing. But having a guest on like you uh, just makes it all the more fun because I can bounce off ideas. And again, I appreciate your time. And I hope everybody, please follow Michael on Twitter to get all his prospect analysis and content that will give you the great edge in drafting because this man knows how to draft because he literally won the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. But please follow him on Twitter at M-P-R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-1981. Again, that's capital M, capital P, capital R, Richards, 1981. Michael, what is the significance of 1981? I hope that's not a secret because there's no way you were born in 1981. Well, actually, I'm going to give you give the secret out. This is something that people have asked me for. I've just kind of held it to myself for no particular reason, but it actually is that it's the, it's the date of my birth. Oh, my goodness. I never would have guessed that. Uh, I've just, you know, met you on uh 
on a video. We've never met in person, but you are way too young to be born in 1981. I was born in 1977, the year, to put that in perspective, the first Star Wars came out. <laughs> that was a long time ago. But uh, again, please go follow Michael, MP Richards, 1981. And Michael, we have so much to talk about. I'm just going to dive right in because the news that came out today, we are recording on March the 23rd, was kind of staggering on many different levels. So we do have to mention it, and I don't, I hate to be negative, but Reese, Reese Hoskins looked like he suffered a very serious knee injury. Oh no, um, it looks like he's gonna be out for a while. He had to be carted off. We don't have any other news than that, but um, Michael, were you looking at it? What do you think about who's next up for the, the, the powerful Phillies lineup uh, for Reese Hoskins' injury? Well, I'll start by saying I, I'm pretty squeamish on that sort of stuff. I've had some bad injuries before, too. You know, like, I don't know if you follow basketball. I like remember Paul George breaking his leg. And these, there's some massive, well-known injuries that I've never seen. Yeah. And I just, and this is one of those things, too. I heard about it. I saw a video of him laying on the ground. I haven't watched it or anything. Everything that I'm hearing from people writing about it and talking about it is that he's probably out for the season. Oh, no. Uh, uh, and so... That's a, that's a big blow for people who have already drafted, obviously. I mean, Hoskins was he, – he showed up pretty well on a lot of my draft sheets, so I thought he was a value this year at first base. And so his replacement, I think – I'm looking at the roster resource as we speak. I, I think it's going to be Derek Hall, and he's a big lefty slugger. He We saw him a little bit last year, and he definitely has legitimate power. I don't think he's as good overall a player – but roster resource hasn't slotted in in the four hole, at least against righties right now. I'm not sure if that sticks, but that would be my guess for who replaces him in the Phillies lineup. Agree a hundred percent. I've had my eye on Derek Hall since last year. He's a 27 year old, you know, in the Phillies uh, organization. He's man. He's been scrapping his way up all, all from the top. From the bottom to the top, last year between AA and MLB, he hit 37 in a row. Uh, shout out, Clerks. 37 home runs. Um, he's got the power. He was going to be lefty DH, but now that Hoskins is down, I think he's going to get full-time first base starts for the Phillies, which is a really good thing for his plate appearances. And then we all know in fantasy, it's it's plain appearances that that rule the, the roost. So it looks like Derek Hall is going to get those. And he's got the power. And uh, also, I noticed in spring training, uh, he, and, he and Hoskins have been uh, rotating from that first base lot. Like, even before Hoskins' injury, um, Hall started at first base yesterday. So he's looks like the natural person to to step in and be on first base. But there was another big injury today. And I, I hate to talk about injuries too much because I like to keep things positive like Michael does. But, but you got to talk about it. Rosel Iglesias, the closer for the Braves, a very important fantasy closer. Top five, I would think. As far as drafting, he went down with shoulder inflammation. He's going to start the year on the IL, which 
isn't like the Hoskins injury. I don't think he's going to be out for the entire season. You never know. The last thing you want to hear from a any pitcher, especially a hard-throwing reliever, is shoulder problems. But I don't know. I I, I looked I looked at the uh, the guys behind him. But what what do you think, Michael? What's in store for the the Braves uh, as far as a closer, at least at the beginning of the year? Well, I mean, I'll start by saying Rysel Iglesias was definitely a big target of mine. You know, we have the I have my actual main event coming up next week, and I kind of had him penciled in as my my main closer I was going after. So this is going to impact a lot of people and a lot of people's draft strategies. And it's just another closer off the board, you know, after Edwin Diaz. So it's it's really just I mean, I mean I'll throw in this real quick. I I read that last year only nine closers kept their job all season in the major leagues. So, you know, if you take two of those guys, those prime top 10 guys off the board, it's, it's going to be really hard to have elite saves, you know, that you can definitely count on coming out of the draft. So the people who get them are going to have an early benefit there. As far as who's going to replace them. I typically look for the, the best right-hander, you know, the, there is a lefty AJ Minter would be the, the obvious choice if they go lefty and it's very possible they do that. He's had success doing that before. But they could also want to use him against other lefties in different matchups like that. And they brought in Joe Jimenez from Detroit in a trade. And he was kind of the guy that was supposed to take over for the Tigers. It never really happened. But but I do trust the Braves organization. And they did trade for him. He's still relatively young. And he had his best season last year. Like He, he had a really nice season Like when you look at the underlying metrics and all that sort of stuff. So I think if he's capable of handling it, the pressure of the situation, he would be. he has the stuff to do it. So it could be a, a mix of them. It could be Jimenez because they want a righty in there. Could be Minter. Like I don't really have the answer. I'll probably go after Jimenez because I have a feeling that he'll be cheaper. And it's like I'm I'm just trying to I, I do think Iglesias ends up just taking the job back in a, the first month or so. So it's really you're just trying to get you know a handful of saves from a guy early on. That's the that's a great point. So you know I you know, we don't know too much about the shoulder inflammation, but don't jump off the cliff with AJ Mentor or Joe Jimenez just yet. I mean, obviously that bumps both up a little bit. AJ Mentor was fantastic last year. He led the league in uh, or led fantasy baseball in in holds, and he looks to be the natural, um, you, you know, successor. But like you said, you know, the Braves are going to mix and match and do what they do what they do. So. You know, keep an eye on that situation. I love it. That's that. That's good advice. How about this though? And I'm going to try to close up some bad news. But man, just a lot of things happened today. Adam Wainwright. It came, the news came out that he uh, hurt himself doing some weightlifting or something. He's out, and he would be their opening day starter for the St. Louis Cardinals. So, did you look at that and see? Does that change anything? And the reason I bring this up because one of my favorite pitchers, Matthew Liberator. I know he's been sent down, but the, he was sent down before the Wainwright thing came out. And I'm sure the organization knew about that, but does this change anything for Matthew Liberator? Can he be the fifth starter now that Wainwright's going to be down on the IL for at least the start of the season? It's a good question. I mean, he's definitely their, their prospect that's close. That's, you know, that's, that, makes sense for them to come up there and join the rotation roster resource right now is Jake 
Woodford in there, who I'm actually, I got to be quite honest, I'm not even quite sure who that is. That sounds like a delicious whiskey. Like, give me, <laughs> do y'all have any of the uh, Woodford, uh, uh, you know, 10-year barrel? But no, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I've, heard of, I've, I've heard of Jake Woodford. I think he's had some success coming up. But uh, Matthew Liberator has had a great spring training, 10 innings pitched. And I know it's spring training and 10 innings isn't a big deal, but nine K's, uh, 1.8 ERA, 0.8 whip. Uh, he started two games, won them both. He's a 23 year old lefty. So, you know, he's, he's looked good, but, uh, like you said, I think Jake Woodford is probably going to start because he has a little bit more experience and his name sounds like Woodford reserve delicious whiskey. So, Anyone with a whiskey name goes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. With a whiskey and, name probably gets the first shot, especially in St. Louis. Yeah, I think he'll get a shot. And but this this does open up. You know, anytime there's an injury, it opens up a door for another pitcher. You know, they're going to obviously need more than five on the season. I think Libertori does get his shot, and he does have prospect pedigree. He's a lefty, so there's a chance it could work out. Like he's a guy. If he gets his shot and sticks, you know, he could be a good a good player on a good team. You know, that a lot of people are going to want on the rosters. I should also mention, I just want because I'm looking at their team down there, Gordon Graceffo, he's not on the roster right now, but this is one of the best control artists in the minor leagues. He he ran through, I think, three levels last year, and I wouldn't be surprised to, if we see him up at some point this year. And he's not really a big name yet, but he's someone that people are going to really be into once it's his turn. I just wrote that name down. Thank you very much, Michael. I know you got a main event coming up, but... Uh... I promise I'll keep that one as much as I can <laughs> under my hat, even though you're talking about it on a podcast. But uh, I appreciate your candor. I really do. But uh, I was going to ask you about one more guy, James Outman, outfielder for the Los Angeles Dodgers. James Outman, the news broke today. He is going to be on the opening day roster. Good for him. He looks like a 2020 guy. I don't know how he's going to fit in to, to playing time with, with the L.A. Dodgers, but when you make the L.A. Dodgers opening day roster, that raises an eyebrow or two. What do you think about James Outman? Yeah, I follow James Outman a little bit. Uh, he's always been a little bit older for his levels in the minor leagues, but he had a, a quite a productive season last year. You know, he definitely is one of those guys who – can get you 20 plus home runs in over double digit steals if he's playing enough obviously you know right now he he's projected to be a bat a, a bench bat for the Dodgers but that could easily change you know they have some older players they're probably going to mix and match and platoon in different spots so i think him i think them giving him an opening day roster is is twofold it's it's their belief in him being ready major league ready like he doesn't have much left to prove in the minor leagues but he's also not necessarily one of their elite can't miss type of guys. You know, it's like they can afford in their minds to have him start as a bench bat. This isn't someone that they think they have to get every day at bats immediately or else they would have stuck him back down in AAA until a spot opened up. Uh, overall, I think he's probably going to be a power speed type of guy with a below average batting average overall. If, if, if he were to play it out for a full season, it has value in fantasy. He'll be rostered in most leagues and all that. But I, I don't think this is like a, a superstar upside or anything. 
Well, his competition for an outfield spot currently in the Los Angeles Dodgers is Trace Thompson in center and David Peralta in left. And, of course, Mookie's in right. He's not going anywhere barring injury. But I don't know. I, I, I'm i not too worried about Trace Thompson or David Peralta. Uh, you know, if, if James Outman comes on strong, he's in good he's in good shape. And also, I heard a story. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard this. I'm going to tell it to you. Um, so James, uh, apparently has a pet rock. Are you familiar with the pet rock phenomenon that I think occurred in maybe the sixties or I don't know, even if it's a lot of things occurred in the seventies, no one wants to talk about, but do you know what a pet rock is? I do. I remember that. I think someone just decided to sell people a rock for a dollar and became a millionaire. The most brilliant thing in the history of American consumerism is somebody somewhere came up with the idea, I'm going to sell people rocks. Okay, rocks. R-O-C-K, rocks, a rock. Well, apparently, James Altman has retroed into this idea and has a pet rock and calls him Rocky. And that pet rock lives in his locker in the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, locker room. <laughs> Can That's you funny. believe that? I'm not making it up. I swear it's true. Yeah, you got to um, keep the, you got to keep the clubhouse loose. You know. Yeah. It probably sounds like something he's had going for a while, maybe like it's something. God, I hope so. I hope that's not a newfound, not a newfound thing, because he's like in his <laughs> late twenties. But <laughs> he lost his mind once he made. Yeah, he's lost his mind. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, in um, the, the movie, um, oh, the the one um, with the Cleveland Indians, uh, you know, where they had Joe Boo. Yeah, Major League. Major League. Gosh, I can't believe I'm getting old. I'm getting old, Michael. I can't remember the name of that movie. But yeah, Major League with Joe Boo. You know, he had the rum. And then James Outman has, you know, Rocky the Rock in there, I guess, helping him hit curveballs or something like that. But so that's just another reason to put um, uh, James Outman from the Los Angeles Dodgers on your radar because his competition is Trace Thompson. And David Peralta, both good players, but frankly, on the other side of 30. And uh, we've got James Outman um, on a great team and talking to Pet Rocks. So I don't, what could what could possibly go wrong, Michael? Nothing. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be great for the Dodgers this year. But uh, with that, probably enough with the Pet Rock talk. I, you didn't come on and talk about Pet Rocks. You, you came on and talk about prospects. And I love your podcast, The Call Up. It's so great. And you you get into the the the, the deep and the depths of some prog- uh, prospects. But today for this podcast, I was thinking, you know, maybe keep it a little bit more on like, you know, guys that are a little bit, you know, more well known that I want to get your opinion of like, what you know? What do we think? What do you think about prospects that are still in camp or spring training camp this this late in the spring training season? Does that mean anything? Does it not? What do you think? Well, that's a good question. You know, I as I told you before, I got started. Like uh, one of one of my biggest frustrations with prospects is my inability to accurately identify when the teams are going to promote them, and it's not just that. It's like sometimes they promote them and then they only keep them up for two weeks 
or you know it's it's just like sometimes they go off sometimes they struggle big time it's just so hard to pin the prospect down at the right time for them to get going uh sorry sorry i got kind of on the sidetrack there what was the main question well i was going to ask you about some prospects that it looks like they're still in spring training with the big league team because yeah you know, a lot, a lot of teams, like let's say the Orioles, for instance, like today they option two great prospects, Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad, uh, two, you know, money. I, I think Kerstad was was picked second overall in his draft, and and two fantastic uh, prospects. So they've been sent down. They they're they're obviously not going to start on the major league roster, but. Um, and I guess we'll just dive right into it. But Kyle Stowers of the A's did not get optioned down. So what do you think about Kyle Stowers? Is he going to be on the opening day roster as as their lefty DH? Uh, you you kind of got me confused. Did you say Stowers is on Oakland right now? I'm sorry. Did I say Oakland? I meant Orioles, Baltimore Orioles. Oh, Baltimore. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's the team I identified him with uh so stowers yeah i mean i i've always kind of seen stowers as a player that was going to be on this opening day roster currently he's listed as the sixth hitter uh platooning uh, against righties batting sixth uh so if you see a player that's in the starting lineup at this stage like a week before i think there's a really good chance they're going to be on the team in some fashion maybe his lineup spot isn't exactly what it says but I'm I'm I feel very confident that Stowers will will make the Orioles team and be hitting against right-handed pitchers at the bare minimum and may become a full-time player if he's able to improve against lefties because I think that's been one of his problems in the minor leagues. So he does kind of more profile as a power hitting uh platoon bat. I like him a lot. But of course, I may have buried the lead. Uh, a little bit, Michael, or a lot, <laughs> Michael, because there are other much bigger names to discuss, like Anthony Volpa from the New York Yankees. Oh, my goodness, has he taken spring training by storm? He's been, you know, so good. He's literally, with production, inserted himself into the conversation of I can can Anthony Volpa be an everyday shortstop for the New York Yankees on opening day? Well, he has the talent to. This is a guy who broke out majorly two years ago, and then he backed it up this last year with a 20 home run, 50 steal season. He doesn't strike out a ton. And I'm not surprised by his success in spring training. I'm not sure if it's going to lead to them getting a job. This is something I have, I'm kind of 50-50 on. It's really a toss-up for me. I have some people who are really into this, really focused on the Yankees and prospects even and dynasty, and and they believe the Yankees want him to be their starting shortstop. And I do think he is their starting shortstop long-term. It's just whether or not the Yankees want to start the clock immediately. Uh, They do have pros and and other options they could fit in there. Uh, It's hard. It's really hard. Spring training can be such a mirage sometimes. You know, these guys could look really good in the spring training. And then once they start facing the Houston Astros for four straight games, it's like they look like they're overmatched. So I'm not exactly sure what to say about what Volpe is going to do this year, because that's kind of 
my stance with most rookies. You know, you're going to have your Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt who work out and Michael Harris, but there's also plenty of guys who just come up and don't work out too. So Volpe, I really like him. I do think he's good enough to be the starting shortstop. I think it's just a decision that's probably already been made within the organization. And I just don't think they're going to let us know until the last second and the way he's playing. And we also got to factor in this, where he's playing it. It's New York. So there's that added pressure, but they're they're They also make moves sometimes that other teams wouldn't necessarily make. Like they, they need, they need a new shortstop. They haven't had a good shortstop really since Derek Jeter left. And they want that fan experience. Like the fans want Volpe to be their shortstop, even if he's not necessarily hundred percent ready, they want to get behind that hype. And I think the Yankees are going to let him do it if they don't think it's going to set him back. I think you're so right. I really do. You know, they've got Aaron, they re-signed Aaron Judge, so that'll keep the fans happy. The New York, those ravenous, New un, unhappy New York Yankee fans. I'm just kidding. They're perfectly wonderful. But they re-signed Aaron Judge, so that should keep them happy. But, yeah, Volpe would kind of energize things on a different level to kind of counterbalance the weight of Josh Donaldson on your roster. And I, I actually think he's going to have a good season this year. Um, but, you know, he, he just kind of brings everybody down. But then you add Anthony Volpe, and that, that kind of brings everybody up. But they can't get rid of Donaldson because he's there on a guaranteed contract. But it looks like Oz, if, if I were the Yankees GM and – that would be that would take some type of Aladdin, you know, rub the rub the lamp, get a genie wish situation. But if I were the Yankees general manager, um, I, that's what I would do. I would make Oswald Peraza the shortstop to start the year because he's already been brought up. One of the options are used. His clock is running, and keep Volpe down and just sit down with Volpe and say, "Look, you're you're going to be our you're our future. You're awesome. You've done great, but." you haven't been called up to the major leagues. And, uh, you know, once you get called up, even if you get called down, the options start running. So I don't think they're going to do that with Volpe, even though he deserves a call up and could be in the running for um, rookie of the year. But if I were the Yankees, that's probably what I would do too. So I totally, I totally get that. Um, the other, on the totally opposite end of this spectrum, the, the, the Volpe deal is, uh, Oscar Colas, who is, you know, the word's out. I'm not breaking any news or anything, but his spring training was so good. And they, in the White Sox, this is the Chicago White Sox uh, outfield prospect, Oscar Colas, who has a very interesting path to where he is right now. A little bit of an older, pros older prospect due to some international things that happened, but he is tagged by, I would say, the whole you know prospect injury as someone that could very possibly come in on opening day and be the starting right fielder for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, My Michael, what do you think about Oscar Colas? Yeah, I think of all the players that we're going to talk about today, he he's the one that I feel most comfortable saying will be on the opening day roster. Uh, actually, my co-host Vinny down on the farm uh, was saying he's he's lives in Chicago and he was saying that they're putting up posters and all the stuff around the stadium with Oscar Colas. So that there's like some little uh -huh. indications that he's part of the team. So if if you're in drafts or whatever, I I would kind of 
be willing to uh, jump him a little bit because his price will go up. But uh, is everything you said there is true. You know, he he was an international signing. He came over late from if people who don't follow it closely, he was actually called the Cuban Otani at one point because he was throwing in the mid nineties from the left side and a big slugger, but his, his bat has definitely taken over. He's, he's not going to be pitching anymore. And he's just one of those typical, like prototypical right fielders, just big slugger. And, and I, he's not going to have a ton of speed, but he, you know, he's 24 years old. He moved through three levels last year. He was successful at all of them. His strikeout rate did get a little, out of hand, but it was such a small sample size in AAA. And, you know, I like to go by projections when I do drafting and stuff, and they served me well last year. And he's one of the few prospects who hasn't made a major league debut that's, you know, projected by all of them to get over 400, sometimes 500 plate appearances. And and that's probably low if he's going to be the starting right fielder out the gate, you know. So I think you're looking at a guy who's going to be pretty good this year because he's not a 21-year-old. I think you could see 20 plus home runs. I still don't trust the White Sox. I need to see it unfold. Like there's a lot of injuries and we kind of saw it all fall apart last year. A lot of it had to do with Lasorda, but this is a guy that I think at his current draft price before people start pushing up too high is a nice target because he'd be like your fourth or fifth outfielder and he could end up playing like your number two or three during the season. Yeah, that's a great point. He's exciting because it's like you said, he's not some, you know, fresh rookie or anything like that. He's got experience. He's got talent. And the White Sox in right field, you've got Gavin Sheets, who I like Gavin Sheets. I think he's a good player, but he can't, he shouldn't be in right field. He, he should be a, a lefty platoon DH bat. Um, so the competition, I think, in right field just isn't there for, for Colas. And I think he should definitely get a good shot. And like you said, once, you know, the machine starts putting posters of you up around the stadium, I mean, you might as well, you know, take your your ace king, uh, you know, hole cards and show them to the rest of the table and say, hey, look at this, you know. Uh, so, yeah, they, they're not too subtle about that. So good for Oscar Colas uh, getting a shot with the big league and, there was another outfielder who um, is not going to, he's not going to make the, the, the opening day roster, but somebody I'm fascinated with because uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough. I live in Nashville and I saw him last season. It's Sal Freelich with the Milwaukee Brewers. And he played for the uh, Italy team in the uh, WBC. And we can get your opinion on that. I don't, I, I completely sprung this on you. I don't know your feelings on it, um, but um, I know Sal Freelich played for a team in Italy along with Vinny Pascantino and and um, God, who was the manager? Was it uh, the catcher for the Mets? The Piazza. 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 Yeah, I'm so sorry. Mike Piazza was the manager for for team Italy. Anyway. I loved all that, and not to not to go on too much of a sidetrack. But did you watch the WBC? What what was your overall feelings about it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I've been in a ton of drafts recently, so I couldn't watch it like full time. But I caught as much as it as I can. You know, I'm a I'm a baseball fan. Like I, I see people on Twitter, you know, complaining about different things. It's like I'm just happy to watch baseball. So you know, obviously, there's some unfortunate injuries and different things like that, but. 
you know, for me, I've been without baseball since last year's playoffs. I enjoy watching, you know, great players play, even if they're not fully ready to go necessarily. And uh, yeah, I, I don't really understand the, the negativity that comes along with it. This seemed like one of the more successful events in, in its history. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that most legitimate baseball fans would kind of look at it the same way as that. Um, I'm with you hundred percent. I loved it. I thought it was so much fun to watch players like care about their team and it's March and they're, they're going for it because it means so much to their, their fans at home. And no matter what country you live in or who you are, or where you come from, everybody at this event love baseball and they love playing baseball and they love their teammates and they love their fans and, and they're going out there and giving it their all. And it was electric. I, I did. I was not at any of the games, obviously, but I watched all of them. And you can just tell it was an electric atmosphere. And of course, you know, it came down to Japan and the United States with Otani versus Trout. And it couldn't have been a, a better script to write how all the drama leading up comes down to this final moment between these two friends, these two teammates, bottom of the ninth, two outs on a three-two count. Holy moly, what could be more exciting? I thought it was awesome. Couldn't have asked for anything better. But of course, I digress. <laughs> I just wanted to get that out there. I love the WBC. But um, we were talking about Freelich. Sal Freelich. Yep. This guy, I think, is, and I know Whit Merrifield is kind of on the outs with the the fantasy industry, but I, he's got that kind. Selfie like from the Milwaukee Brewers has got that kind of contact. You know, he's not a power guy. Um, he can hit some home runs, but he's he's speed and he's going to get on base. And I don't know what what do you guys in the prospect world think about Sal Freelich for the uh, uh, Milwaukee Brewers? Well, yeah, it's interesting. He should come up today. We actually talked about him on yesterday's episode, and uh, we were comparing rookies from last year to rookies this year. And I, I said that Sal Freelich is this season's Stephen Kwan, and I actually think he's got more speed than Stephen Kwan. I think he's like a a, a more better version of Stephen Kwan. If that, makes, but that's, but we saw what Stephen Kwan was last year. I mean, he's a he's really going to help your batting average, and I think that's what what's going to happen with Freelick here. I, I said on the show yesterday, he's, this is a guy I expect to be in the contention for batting titles throughout his career. I think he's the type of player that w can affect how you draft. Like if you, you know, like, like you can take a power speed type of guy who maybe is like a jazz Chisholm or an O'Neill Cruz and pair him with this type of player. And it's just going to be a lot of fantasy goodness. Uh, Freelick to me is going to, be a dark horse to win NL rookie of the year when he comes up. I mean, I, I got to give the edge to Corbin Carroll just because he's amazing. But if Corbin Carroll doesn't win it, Freelick would be the, the player that I'd put it. I just think he's going to be very good right off the bat. I think he's in a great uh, lineup spot. He'll be the leadoff hitter in a great uh, hitter's park. And he's got a bunch of sluggers behind him. I just think you're looking at a very useful fantasy player that, that I would uh, target aggressively in leagues that value batting average. I love it. Um, 
I love Sal Freelich. Uh, I think he's going to be great. And of course, you know, Corbin Carroll is also one of those. He's got kind of a Ronald Acuna type, you, you know, type of profile that he's just going to come on the scene and and take the world by storm. But uh, I, w- I would love to ask you before we run out of time and we got a few minutes, but I, I would love to ask you, because it's not every day that I get to talk to a reigning champion of a industry, uh, you know, I guess, quote, expert, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it's not your home league. All right. These are people who have computers, programs, all types of different things that are engineered to draft the best players and playing time and all that kind of stuff. And yet you won it all. It's the the great fantasy baseball invitational. I do want to talk to you about that. But before I do, were there any other prospects that you wanted to discuss and we've talked about uh, quite a few, but were there any other ones kind of out of the blue that you wanted to to bring up? Well, uh, you did give me a couple. Uh, I'll name what, Gavin Stone. Okay, Gavin Stone, pitcher for the Dodgers. He's he's started uh, drawing attention. He had a really good season last year. He moved up three levels. He was very effective at each level. He's added a pitch as well. This is obviously it's great to have a Dodgers starting pitcher and they're struggling to fill that fifth uh, rotation spot as it stands. They may just end up trading for someone or whatever, but Stone and Bobby Miller, but specifically Stone, I think he's going to step in at some point this year and he could be a a really valuable player. I'm trying to think of like a a comp. He's just a control artist. It's going to be like a George Kirby type situation. I think, I think, that if the Dodgers let him take over that rotation spot at some point this year, I think you're looking at just good strikeouts, good ERA and whip and getting wins for the Dodgers. And so that's someone that I think people need to, if if you're in league, like he's well known in leagues that are into this and people who are deep into prospects, you know, he's already coveted in that sense, but there's a lot of people who don't follow this stuff super deep. And he's just someone that I would be really trying to get on my team if, if someone isn't aware of how good he is right right now. And I also just wanted to throw in this, there's one other player that you didn't mention, but uh, on the list, but Andy Rodriguez, you know, I mentioned him yesterday on the show also, but he's on a bad team, but th- the Pirates, the Pirates are going to call him up this year. And I think it's going to be probably in early May, if I had to guess. And he's capable of playing catcher, second base and outfield. They don't have a lot of talent on that team. And I think if if I had to give a comp to him, he I think he's the closest thing we have to like an Adley Rushman from last year. And, you know, you're not going to get the speed, but this is a guy that I think people are going to want to get on their teams and be their number two catcher as soon as he gets called up. And he's another guy that just has a really good profile to hit. He's he's I would call him like the catcher version of Kyle Manzardo. I just think he's a really good hitter. I think he's got a big future. I think he's probably going to be in that three spot for the Pirates down the road here this season. So anytime you have a catcher who can hit, has power, and is batting in the three hole, that's going to that's going to have value. I see him being like a, a top 10 round pick next year in, in redraft league. So I just wanted to throw him out there for anyone who might uh, be weak at catcher because I, I find myself there in a couple leagues. 
I love Indy Rodriguez, and it's Indy, E-N-D-Y Rodriguez for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He is expected to make his MLB debut this year. He's 22 years old, but last year in the minor leagues, he was fourth in OPS and set highs in home runs and batting OBP and slugging. He is a complete player that is very exciting. I love that call. Indy Rodriguez for the Pirates. And Gavin Stone, I've got a Gavin Stone problem. I'm just going to come out and say it. I've I've tweeted about him a couple times. I think Gavin Stone is one of the most exciting pitchers. Now, Grayson Rodriguez with the Baltimore Orioles is first. There's no disagreement there, but Gavin Stone has been such a success story through the Dodgers uh, minor system. He, his K rate, his K per nine, everything has gotten better and better and better. He is like a development superstar for the Dodgers. Now they've already sent him down, and I believe because he, you know, his MLB time, his clock hasn't started running, so they're going to put him in the minors. And I think Ryan is it is it Pipo? Uh, I I, I hope you? I'm pronouncing his name right. He will probably start opening day as the fifth starter, but Gavin Stone is the one who literally can be that Spencer Strider kind of out of nowhere uh, guy next year. He's got the stuff. He literally has got the stuff. Take a look at Gavin Stone for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I love him. He's one of my favorite picks later on in drafts. To pick and Michael, uh, thank you for bringing him up because he's going to be good because he's been good every single level that he's played, dominated every level. So keep your eye out for Gavin Stone this year, draft him late and a draft and hold. Um, so we're getting a little bit close on time. I've taken a lot of Michael's time, but I have to know, I have to put Michael on the couch, like a psychiatrist, like, uh, you know, Frederick Nietzsche or something. I got to put him on there. I got to get to know his brain on drafting because the reigning champion of the, the great fantasy baseball league just finished his draft a couple weeks ago. So Michael, let, let's hear it. And I, I know you, you probably don't want to you know, talk about yourself and be like, oh, I do this, I do that. But what was your mindset going into this year's draft after being, you know, so successful last year? What what were you thinking? Oh, there's a lot to go in there. Uh, you know, last year obviously was uh, unexpected. I mean, I planned for it and I grinded it out as hard as I could, but you still, you don't expect to finish first out of 450 plus people that, that are all really good at fantasy too. So I knew that I needed to step up my draft game this year, or that was the plan anyways, because, because when I looked back at my team last year, I I thought it would look better on paper, but my draft did not look like the overall champion, you know? And so it's like, I had no choice, but to conclude that I won that league because of my fab work. And a lot of it was because of prospect stuff. Like I hit on, I got Strider, I got Lodolo, I got Von Grisham, I got 
basically a bunch of guys, all the rookies that except for the top guys, I just added them all to my teams and they all just hit and filled in with, but I knew that I needed certain things coming out of this draft that I had last year, but I didn't have it until I got it last year, if that makes sense. So pitching, I had a really ended up having a really good pitching staff at the end last year, but I didn't draft a really good pitching staff. I just ended up picking it up and filling it in over time and it ended up being one. And I just knew how important pitching is. I knew that that was a big reason why I won last year. So my thinking was I'm going to have to use some early picks on pitching, lean into pitching even more than maybe some people are comfortable with. And I know that's how main event leagues tend to work too. I've been around for a couple of years. I haven't played one yet, but I know that pitching is what gets pushed up when all the big money's on the line. So I was like, those guys are smart. They're playing for tons of cash. I'll, I'll use that same strategy to try to do well in this league. And so that's basically what I did. And I, I really didn't try to change too much. It was just the foundational stuff. Like you've talked, like you mentioned earlier, plate appearances, you know, I'm trying, I'm not trying to be the smartest person in the room. I'm not trying to predict which rookie's going to blow up. It's just, I just keep building quality pieces. Like, you know, and I used to be the type of guy who would try to hit home runs with every pick and I'd strike out a lot. Now I try to hit doubles. And if you just keep hitting doubles, it, it just, it, there's just a massive, I don't know if this is the, the case for everyone, but for me, I had to get over the desire to have my favorite players and have them all emerge at the same time. And just, it's, you can't win a one season league against people who are maximizing plate appearances and in pitched when you're, you're in wishful thinking mode, you know, and, and so that's, I just, I went a little extreme with it. I took away all the prospects. I did, didn't even allow myself to put them on my draft board. And, and that just ended up giving me the foundation I needed. The players that didn't work out, you know, I, like I said, I drafted some bad players, Jonathan Scope or whatever, and ended up cutting these players, picking up better players. And then by the end I had the title. So my goal in this season was to just do the same thing. I wanted to have players that I knew were going to play all the time that don't have injury history. I, I messed up on that with a couple of players, but in, and just tried to build a, a team that was well-rounded enough to where I didn't, wasn't forced to chase anything during the season. Like, I don't want to be in, in a position where I have to spend $300 to get a closer or something or whatever, you know, or, or that I need so much speed that I can't find it on the free agents. Like I know that there are certain things that are going to be gone early on in the season and when they do appear, they cost a lot. So I just wanted to get as much of that sort of stuff on my roster coming out of the draft. I, I love it. But things have changed, Michael. Things have changed for you because last year when you were drafting, I don't think you had a podcast, a wildly successful podcast called uh, The Call Up, but now you do. So this is what I always wanted to ask all those all those high stakes players and all those successful industry guys, like now that you have your own podcast and you're talking about who you like, who you don't like during the year, and this hasn't happened yet, but are you ever going to think to yourself, huh, I really like that guy. And I know my competition is probably listening. Maybe I'll just scoot this little guy over here and not that you're withholding anything, but there are plenty of other people to talk about. And in, in disclaimer, if it were me, I would do that 100%. <laughs> I, 
no doubt well, about it. But well, actually, I you know I I have everyone. We're all human. You know, we think about that. Like, do I really want to share this with Twitter? You know, because if you if you have a, a big enough reach, you know, you put out a name, and it's just like everyone knows now. So it's there. You can't really have a secret. I kind of look at this as a more of a community situation. So, you know, I'm trying to help everyone. That's the way I'm looking at it. So yeah. I'm not going to withhold that sort of stuff. And But I'm playing with a lot of smart people. You know, even if I have just like, oh, I'm not going to mention this guy this week or something. A week later, someone other smart will mention him. So it's like they don't really get hidden for all that long. Uh, but the reason this is easier for me, too, to not even go down this path or thinking about this is because I talk about prospects and my most of my leagues I play are redraft leagues and I have them separately. So, you know, I can talk to you about Oscar Colas and Grayson Rodriguez and Sal Freelich, but these guys are fab players for me in this sort of league. Like they're players that I'll try to pick up at the right time, but they're not the reason that I'm going to have success in my redraft leagues. So it's like, I see them as two separate worlds. My podcast is to help dynasty players and, uh, redraft players to take a stab on a player like that, you know, but if I was talking about redraft players all the time, talking about draft position and, you know, that's one thing I don't post my draft boards online. Like people don't really know my strategy. They don't really know how I do things other than what I say, you know, everyone else I see on there, they've posted 27 to 50 draft boards. Like I can study how they draft. They just kind of have to guess how I do it. So I do have, I do keep certain things private. I'm not just trying to tell my competition how to beat me, but I'm, but I'm telling them how to be good at fantasy. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I, I wish uh, I should post every one of my draft boards. I draft Alberto Mondesi in the 26th round and I don't care who knows. <laughs> yeah. If he stays healthy, he's probably going to lead the league in steals. I understand that it. it's such a cheap cost compared to where he's been going in the past unfortunately no way he's healthy so that, that's the one that's the one rub on old uh Alberto Mondesi that's hilarious hopefully well, you get about right. 35 steals before he goes down you know yeah he will we'll see he's in a contract year that's what I keep telling myself you know I'm really into those contract year guys I'm like he is like he's not under obviously he's not under contract he's 27 he needs a good year he needs a good year. Not a great year, but he needs a good year, and he better play as many games as he can. Uh, but that's Alberto Mondesi. But, uh, so uh, we're, we're running up on it. But before I let you go, I would love to hear who – where did you pick in your TGFBI draft, uh, you know, what slot, and who were your first couple picks, and, and tell me why. I And not to give away – I know you got a main event coming up and, and that kind of thing. So if you don't want to, just let me know. But – I'm 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 just curious as to as to your thought process. Well, I like I said, I was in a really tough league. I was drafting directly behind Dylan White, who's gotten top twelve in the overall for three straight years. He's yeah. one of my good friends too, and so it was for for drafting. It was a nightmare. I mean, he he sniped me directly, sniped me probably eight times throughout out of the fifteen possible chances to do it. So, eight so it, times. Yeah, yeah, he took my guy right before me that I had been waiting for 20 picks to grab or whatever. Well, you're, like, I I, I, you're like, okay, man, friendship over. Well, you I know. just I knew what I was getting myself into. I Right when I saw how unlucky I got with the KDS, I was like, well, first of all, even being in his league was because he got fourth last year, I think. So it's like the guy who got first and fourth are in the same league drafting right next to each other. 
So it changed a lot of my picks. So I will tell you my early picks, and I'm not very proud of these. I think I did a bad job in the early rounds. I I picked Jordan Alvarez in the first round at number 12. I love him. I read into his hand thing. I think people are overblowing it. I I'm I could be totally wrong, but I think basically when I made that pick, it was like three hours after the news had come out. And I just made a decision that I think the masses are overreacting to this. And I'm just going to, I'm going to grab this guy at 12 that has never been available at 12 in any draft leading up to this that I've seen. So that that's what I made that choice there. And also I should mention, I do last year when I won, I took Vlad jr. In the first and Manny Machado in the second. So I was comfortable not going with early speed. And so, so, so like I had the idea that I'm comfortable with a big time four category slugger here in the second round. I was thinking about Tatis, but I knew it was too risky. I ended up going with Garrett Cole because I do think it's important to have good pitching and he's one of the best pitchers. It came around to the third round and this is where I, I'm still struggling with this. I ended up going with Carlos Rodon and I have never drafted him before. I've always avoided him, but all of my research I did, he it was just coming up with him being so valuable this year if he was a healthy player, like up there in the mix with Cole and Burns. So oh. my thinking was, and this was at pick 43 or something, like he, I'd seen him going at 31, 32 in drafts. So it was like, he kind of fell to me. I was like, I'm going to pair him with Cole. And I ended up going with Jordan Romano in the fourth round. So that's three pitchers. And I got a closer with two aces. Still don't have any speed. The fifth round, I actually regret this pick even more. I took Alex Bregman. He doesn't have any speed. The reason I took him there is because of how weak third base is. And he had dropped like 15, 20 spots below his ADP. Gunnar Henderson got picked like two spots right after him. So in that sense, I like it. I do like that Bregman over him. Yeah. But I would have I would have gone with some speed there if I could have. But the people I was drafting with were, were just grabbing all the speed. They were just grabbing it early above their ADP and it just always put me in the spot where I had to shift. So the sixth round is when I came back around and got my first speed. I got a guy to help me win last year, Andres Jimenez. Love him. Yes. And and from there, I, I mean I won't go through all my picks, but I, I my middle rounds is where I did my best work. There was like a stretch where I got like Drew Rasmussen, uh Josh Naylor, uh, uh Alec Bohm, uh Jorge Polanco. Like there's this group that I feel very good about. Like if I could if I could bring that group and do it in the main event, I'll be ecstatic. So and and that was a part an important part of what my plan was going into this. I realized how important those round eleven through twenty picks are because they're an important part of your team. They're not like the top ten picks, but they can make or break your season because you because you, you if you pick a 12th round guy you're not going to cut him quickly usually unless he gets injured so it's like you, you can end up getting hurt holding on to those guys so you want those guys to be solid guys that you can count on and i just tried that was the biggest focus of my off season was i you know you got to have do good in the first 10 rounds that's your core your foundation but that 11 through 20 is the secret in my mind and then the 21 through 30 you can do any, there's a lot of different ways you can go with that. That's where you can gamble. You could even throw away all those picks, be wrong on all of them and still end up replacing them and not having it hurt your team. So that's where I wanted to make more uh, upside plays. You know, that's where I picked someone like an Oswald Peraza and Graham Ashcraft is one other pitcher I took really late. Just Mackenzie Gore, which I regret, but 
you know, these are the type of players just trying to get, because I know pitching, I know pitching is valuable. I know that they're not all going to work. Injuries are going to happen. I wanted to have the depth of my pitching on my bench to start the season. So when I start cutting them or they don't work out, I'll still have my core there. You know, if I have enough pitching, I'll have enough once everything falls apart. I love it. And I love Garrett Cole in the second round. You're guaranteed 200 innings pitched. And in a game of plate appearances as an inning pitched, you know, you can say what you want about Garrett Cole and, oh, sticky stuff, whatever. Garrett Cole delivers year after year after year. I love I love that. But yeah, and the big I, strikeout, I, I just want to throw that out there. The big strikeouts that Cole and Burns, people like that, that that's an underrated aspect of, of their value. Like they get 30, 40 strikeouts more than the other aces. So that, that, that stuff matters. It's a huge advantage. Huge advantage. And Cole delivers, and that's the thing too, like you were saying, Cole delivers year after year after year. It's not just a Spencer Strider situation or a Dylan C situation, which if you're in the second round, you know, getting that stability is probably going to be one of the keys to your success this year. But uh, so we're up on, we're up on the time, but before I let you go, tell me your 30th round pick. I love to hear that because it's 30 rounds, right? TGFBI. I always love to hear the, the, you know, what do they call it in the football thing? The Mr. Irrelevant or whatever. I, I love to hear the 30th round pick because, it, you know, you may even be on auto draft at that point. You're just like, you know, you got your cue and you're just like, I don't care. What are one of these, one of these players, but uh, sometimes those 30th round guys can, can come back and make all the difference in the world. Well, I'll tell you right now, you're going to be disappointed in mine because Mine was based on me screwing up the draft and waiting too long on catchers. So I had to take a catcher with my last pick. And the player I took was Carson Kelly, who's already gotten injured. So, and I was thinking, I'll tell you two things. I, these are two of my regrets. I, I wanted I wanted to take Andy Rodriguez, but I just didn't think I could afford to stash him long enough. But he is someone that I'm going to be targeting in fab when he comes up. And Tyler Meagle or McGill for the Mets. I I had him in my queue for the final six rounds and kept passing on him. And he was someone that I wanted to take with that last pick. And, and I would have been thrilled with that if that was the case. Usually I try to go after a big upside player. You know, I want to take a, just a, a, a long shot even, you know, but, but for this particular draft, it was just simply like I have to fill out a, a starting catcher to take into the first fab period, basically. I mean, Carson Kelly's injury happened like three days ago. You know, there's nothing you can do about that. That's just one of those deals. But um, Richard, thank you so much for sharing your insight, for being so candid and so honest. You really didn't have to, but you did it anyway. And I really appreciate it. Um, one last time uh, at Twitter, uh, please follow Richard at uh, MP Richards 1983 MPR. Uh, uh, capitalized uh, Richards 1983, 1981, excuse me, 19, not 1983, 1981. But uh, thank you again for being here, man. I really owe you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on anytime. Love talking baseball. Uh, continue doing your great work. You know, you're going to keep moving and getting bigger. And if you enjoy this, you know, it's the best feeling in the world. It's, it's a lot of fun. Thank you, everyone that's been listening, and I'll talk to you next week.